0: 10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The Treehouse of Liberty podcast is hosted by Jason Fornwald and comes to you from the bright red corner of the bright blue state of Maryland. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Fornwald, and I am thrilled, as always, to have the honor of your presence here with me. I want to jump into things pretty quickly tonight. There's a lot of things going on right now. Some of them pretty cool, some of them not so cool, but I'm going to start with one of the cool things uh, and maybe try to say cool a few more times before the podcast is over. Um, AEW, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this new uh, wrestling organization that started up at least on TV here in the last couple of weeks. They had done some pay-per-views and things before that. But um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, and I I hope I'm not stepping on Andrew's toes too much. Andrew Staples, who is the host of the Andrew Staples Show, oddly enough, um, got a real good podcast about NASCAR and wrestling and and all kinds of cool stuff. See? Cool. One more time. Um, All kinds of cool stuff. And, uh, you know, he really does a nice job with his show. He's got a great voice, man. He's real easy to listen to and uh, very knowledgeable about the topics that he discusses. But getting back to AEW, um, it's just awesome to finally see the WWE have some legitimate competition for the first time since they bought WCW. I watched the first episode, and I was truly blown away. I mean, the level of talent that they have... Um, you know, guys that are established wrestlers, guys that are up-and-comers and and everything in between. I was very impressed with the technical ability that the guys and the gals, too, uh, that wrestled those matches, uh, just with what they're able to do from acrobatics to different holds to keeping action going nonstop, hitting a bunch of great-looking spots, Um, and really kind of getting back to the foundation of what I think professional wrestling is supposed to be. Um, and I think it's a soap opera for men to be perfectly honest with you. No offense to you female fans out there of course I mean the ladies always bring it strong but um, like I said I I was very impressed with the product that they put forward you know I've kind of gotten sick of uh, the WWE's tendency to send Triple H down to the ring to run his jaws for about the first 45 minutes of the show and then Somebody else is handed a microphone, and then you get, like, three minutes of a halfway decent match, and then it's back to somebody else talking, and you know what? I mean, just spare me all that stuff, you know? I understand there's a need to build characters and things like that, but, you know, get to it. Get to the reason that people tune in to to watch the shows, and that's what AEW did, you know? I mean, they took a couple little spots um, to build characters and kind of introduce you to people and give you a feel for what was going on. Uh, And you have to do that because it's like any other television show, you know, you have to build the character before people are going to care what's going on, you know. And you think about your favorite TV shows, whatever they are, what makes them great is the fact that you do care about the characters. Um, And I think AEW is really going to do a good job of that, but not overload the show with that. And I think WWE tends to overload it uh, as far as their, their television shows right now. But... One of the reasons that I'm really excited about AEW presenting some legitimate competition is the simple fact that I'm a capitalist. Um, I like competition. I think competition makes everybody better. Um, You know, WCW certainly was less well-funded than WWE was back in the day when the Monday Night Wars were going on. And still, you know, with the writers that they had and the talent that they had, you know, certainly the NWO, which was a huge deal, um, they were able to beat the the kind of power company, so to speak, you know, the empire that Vince McMahon has created. I mean, Vince basically is professional wrestling. He was the one that took it from the indie circuits to, you know, a, a global product, which is what the WWE is today. I mean, you can go to absolutely anywhere, you know, anywhere in North America. You can go to Australia. You can probably go to most of Africa and hold up a picture of some of the most famous WWE stars, and all of those people are going to be able to tell you who they are. I mean, it's just amazing when you can when you can build a brand like that. Um And certainly competition is only going to improve that. You know, Vince is already pulling out all the stops, you know, having competition from AEW. He's actually put his, quote-unquote, minor league circuit on TV, NXT. It goes up against AEW on Wednesday nights. Um, he's brought back everybody he could possibly think of, you know, from Hulk Hogan to Ric Flair to The Rock to Steve Austin to you name it. Um he realizes that he's he's gotta he's gotta make his product better. And one of the ways to do that in professional wrestling is to bring back those old guys that that we all love, those characters that we grew up with. And that's something that he's done and I think AEW in turn is gonna have to step up their game even more. You know, I was glad to see them bring in Chris Jericho as their Uh, first men's heavyweight champion. You know, I feel like it brings some credibility to the belt and credibility to the brand to have a guy that's had the kind of career that Jericho has. I love the fact that they've gotten him back to being heel Chris Jericho. Um, You know, not only just being a jerk in the ring, but the things that he's able to do on the mic. I mean, that's just he's he's in his element when he is able to just trash talk and, and be dirty, and I love that about him. He's got a lot of good competition in there as well. I mean, there is uh, a guy that wrestled Cody Rhodes in the very first TV match, a guy by the name of Sammy Guevara, and he's not huge. I mean, he's in good shape, but, you know, he doesn't have that prototypical massive, you know, wrestling build. Um, but there's not a thing in the the quote-unquote sport that the kid can't do, you know, whether it's high-flying, technical moves, putting together a good spot with whoever he's working with. And for you guys that don't know, a spot is a chain of moves that guys work out together that they're going to do during the match. And one of them will call it, and it'll be time for that spot. They'll say it to each other quietly. And uh, then they'll put together that series of moves that uh, they had pre-planned. And the spots in that match were incredible. The high-flying was incredible. You know, Jericho being Jericho was incredible. Um, and like I said, there's just a lot of a lot of balance within AEW in that they have the young talent and they also have the established vets to bring credibility to the brand. Um, I actually watched uh, basically a making of AEW Dynamite, which is the name of the TV show, uh, before the show started. And AEW was essentially created by Cody Rhodes, a tag team called the Young Bucks. And Kenny Omega, who last year was voted uh, best wrestler on the planet, basically. Um, you know, and it was it was a real steal to get him from New Japan Pro Wrestling. But the four of those guys basically sat down together and decided what they thought professional wrestling should be. And they wanted to implement that uh, as their product. And you could just see in that making of show, you know, uh, Cody almost had tears in his eyes so many times that you could tell. It was just, it's a part of his soul. Uh, And, of course, his dad being the great American dream, Dusty Rhodes, you know, how could wrestling not be in your soul? Um, His brother Gold, yeah, his brother Gold Dust, his brother Dustin played Gold Dust in WWE for a very long time. And even now at 50 years old, he was able to put together a match with Cody that was just beyond believable. Uh, at a pay-per-view called all or nothing and they interviewed dusty afterwards dustin afterwards and you could see a couple of things you could see that he was totally exhausted um you could see that he was beat to hell and back and you could see that all of that was worth it to him to be able to put on the caliber of show that he expects himself to put on um the brothers going at it and just i mean absolutely waylaying each other um Dustin had more blood on him by the end of that match than I think I've seen in every steel cage match before that um, combined. I mean, it was just unbelievable the sacrifice that he made for the show and for the company. And, you know, like I said, and and Cody, too, when he wrestled his first match on Dynamite, which was actually their first match ever on TV. Before that, the crowd was just absolutely raucous. Um, they were going crazy. I mean, it sounded like the most intense WrestleMania match ever. And Cody kind of looked around, and he looked around kind of out of character, and you could just see that he was totally blown away that all these people were embracing and supporting this brainchild of his and how much the the old fans really wanted to see professional wrestling get back to its roots. So, like I said, I'm I'm very excited about that. As a capitalist, again, you know, I expect that both products will be made better. And if somebody else jumps into the fray, too, then, you know, they're going to have to be better as well. So competition is good for everybody, including Vince McMahon, who I think can get stale sometimes. And uh, I'm anxious to see where all of this goes. So sit back, guys. Kick your feet up on the table. You don't even have to take your shoes off here in a treehouse. And uh, let's get to it. I don't know that I'll ever do a segment of the Treehouse of Liberty that means as much to me as this next segment is going to i'm going to do another addition to the hall of heroes uh, but it's not just any addition It's somebody very important to me my personal hero my grandfather charles lacy Lowe. and i'm going to jump right into his story i hope you guys will indulge me I, I know this is a a self-indulgent kind of piece um but i think the story is fascinating and i think it will resonate with you guys as well you know even though obviously you don't have the um kind of attachment to him personally that I do. Um, my granddad grew up in Crisfield, Maryland, which is on the Eastern shore. And it's kind of funny, Crisfield is one of those towns that got to about 1940 and completely stopped. It didn't progress beyond there. Um, to this day, if you go down there, there's about two restaurants. There's um, and these great big steel shell buildings where um, older African-American ladies, just like they have throughout all of time, uh, sit at these large tables and pick crabs. That's the main income down there uh, is crabbing. And these beautiful women sit around these tables all day long and pick crabs and sing spirituals. And it's just one of the coolest experiences you could ever have. I mean, it's, it's truly an amazing place. And like I said, it's, it's like stepping back in time, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, it, it's just wild that, like I said, they got to about 1940 and, and stopped progressing. But in some ways, that's a very good thing. Um, My grandfather was a crabber by trade. Um, Everybody in Crisfield had a a nickname, so even though his name was Charles Lowe, he went by Chick. And he had two brothers who went by Hick and Pick. (laughs) I'll give you just a minute to stop laughing. I need a little time every time I go through that, too. But those were the names that they went by. And and nobody in Crisfield to this day really knows what anybody's actual name is. They all still have nicknames. As a matter of fact, they publish a registry down there that you can purchase that lists everybody's nickname uh, so that you know who everybody in town is. It's it's a wild place, it really is. Um, Crabbing is a very difficult job. Um, My grandfather with his brothers and his dad, they would go out on the Chesapeake Bay before the sun came up every morning and they would lower um, what they call scrapes. They're great big, uh, like cage traps uh, that they would catch the crabs in. They're super heavy. You know, you really had to be fit and athletic to be able to do the job. And, of course, when you went back out in the evening, uh, as the sun was going down, you had to be even stronger because at that point, of course, the scrapes were full of crabs. Other than working hard on the water, um, and again, this remains true, Crisfield is a place where there isn't a whole lot to do. So my grandfather, as soon as he was of age, uh, joined the Army National Guard there. Uh, He joined the 29th Division, Company L. And if any, any of you know anything about World War II, you're already starting to get some chills about what's coming on later in the story. But the main reason that he did that was because the guard unit had dances every weekend. Um, Chrisfield is also a place with the swamps and the bay and all that good stuff there. The mosquitoes are unbelievable. Um, You know, I swear they need landing strips to bring these things in and put them on the ground. And, you know, if you're not too careful, if your dog doesn't weigh enough, they're going to pick him up and carry him away. It's not quite that bad, but it's awfully close. I remember the one time that I made a trip down there as a child that it was just absolutely miserable to be outside for any length of time because the mosquitoes were so bad. So, like I said, my my grandfather, as soon as he was able to join the National Guard there, And he was doing that because of those dances, and he wanted to have something to do. You know, young guy and available and strong and athletic and handsome, and, you know, why not? I mean, I'd be going to dances, too, if I was him. Um, But even though he joined for those dances, it wasn't too long after that that the United States entered World War II. Um, And the 29th Division, Company L, out of Crisfield, Maryland, was deployed to England. Back home a young lady named Maxine Chenoweth visited her father at Crisfield's Marine Corps Hospital. In the same room my grandfather's brothers were visiting their father. They were so impressed by my grandmother's beauty and charm that they convinced her to write to my granddad Chick who was overseas. The letter she would send literally began my family. Chick and Maxine corresponded via letters throughout the war Chick even proposed in a letter. Maxine accepted in a letter. Chick wired money to my great-grandmother so that she could take Maxine to pick out her ring. The first time he saw it was in a photo that Maxine sent. Ring circled, handwritten, my ring. Chick would storm the beaches of Normandy, earning a bronze star for his heroism. The 29th Division was in the first wave, which endured a 50% casualty rate. After the invasion, he became an MP in St. Louis, France, helping to break up black market and smuggling rings. It was also then that he and his three closest friends began performing at USO shows and on Armed Forces Radio as the singing sergeants. Amazingly enough, one of those recordings still exists, and I want to play a short clip of it for you now. This is from the Sun Papers archives in Baltimore, and I thank them for allowing me to use the clip. Ladies and gentlemen, the singing sergeants. We have four men from Crisfield, Maryland, who have formed a vocal quartet within the regiment. They are all sergeants, Sergeant Ken Nelson, Grady Sterling, Woody Thomas, and Chick Lowe. And they'll add a bit to the program now with their rendition of one of their own songs, which they are dedicating to their wives and sweethearts back home. Title, You'll Know Then, Dear. think most of us would do well to have half the talent that those men had and you know it's interesting to note that I, I believe it was Ken that wrote the music um, for the original songs that they did and my grandfather wrote the words and you know I, I could just hear him personally coming through you know and everything that he wrote his his letters that he wrote back and forth from my grandmother were just absolutely unbelievable um, of course his penmanship was perfect and just the the flowery language that they used back then is it's nothing like anything we see in a in a text message or an email or anything like that these days. Um, And I love that clip. I mean, it's it's hard for me to listen to it or to really even talk about my granddad, who is my personal hero, without getting choked up. I mean, the man's just everything that I would hope to be but could never achieve. Um, I love to talk about him, and I love to share his story. Like I said, I'll never be half the man that my granddad was. Um, In my opinion, no one ever will be. But I discovered some amazing similarities that I didn't know between he and I until years after the fact. Um, As I told you, he became an MP in St. Louis, France, um, not long after the Normandy invasion. Interestingly enough, when I joined the Army Reserve in 1995, I became an MP just as my grandfather had 50 years earlier without knowing that he had been been an MP himself. I really didn't know much about his service until after mine. I knew that he was a D-Day vet, but that was about it. You know, as you find with most men and women who have actually done something during their time in the military, he didn't like to talk about it. And um, he didn't. I remember one time I was sitting on his lap and my cousin Jennifer was sitting on the other side and she was a couple of years older than me. I was five when he passed away. But she was a little older than me and she looked up at him and she said, Dad, Dad, did you ever have to kill anybody? And he put us both down, walked across the room, back when you had to do that, walked across the room, changed the channel on the TV, came back, picked us both up, and acted like nothing had even happened. Um, but like I said, to me, it was just amazing to find out that he had been an MP also. Even more than that, when I was in basic training, I formed a quartet with some friends of mine there. Kevin Cotlong, Mike Andrews, and I wish I could remember the last guy's name. Unfortunately, I can't. My uh, my brain, a quarter century later, isn't letting me reach that. But we actually sang while we cleaned the barracks. Um, and sometimes the guys would ask us to sing them to sleep with amazing grace. Um, this is just insane. You know, like I said, I, I really knew nothing about his story. And here I am following in his footsteps anyway. And I, I refuse to accept the notion that he didn't have some part of that. I pray God that he did. One afternoon we were on Pelham Range at Fort McClellan, Alabama, which is where I did my basic training, and one of my platoon drill sergeants called us out. And he said, so I understand you guys can sing. Well, sing something for us. And we chose our national anthem. He called the company to attention, and we sang it in front of God and everyone. When we'd finished, all he said was, that was very good. We could clearly tell that he was impressed. Of course, you're not going to tell Bob Privates that you're impressed with anything that you're doing, especially in basic training. And he might even have been a little moved. Moved is a powerful word. Um, In my opinion, it may be second only to love. And we can be moved when we least expect it. A child's laugh, your favorite team's fight song, a stunning sunset i moved being able to hear my granddad and his buddies bringing a little joy to homesick boys across Europe and beyond. He always brought me joy. No one I'll ever know will be as excited to see me as he always was. I miss him every day. Each day a little more than the last. He's been gone 40 years, but the hole in my heart still hasn't been filled. For his heroism in battle, The gifts of joy and peace he brought to all fortunate enough to be in his company and for being the greatest family man I have ever known, his humdinger is honored to induct Staff Sergeant Charles Lacey Chick Lowe into the Treehouse of Liberty Hall of Heroes. Dad, Dad, I love you, I miss you, and I pray I will see you again. Thanks for your indulgence, folks. I really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoyed this story. And so, with a frog in my throat and dust in both of my eyes, I think that's going to bring the Treehouse of Liberty to a close this week. I did plan on getting into some of the impeachment inquiry news, but it just seemed so kind of superficial after remembering that story and sharing it with you guys. And again, I hope it was something that you found interesting and entertaining um i think it's a story that kind of transcends just our family and you know is something that a, a lot of american families can relate to because we're fortunate enough to have had a lot of men and women throughout our history you know that any time duty called they were willing to uh strap on the boots and pick up an m16 or whatever the weapon of choice was during their era and go ensure that uh freedom and liberty continue to prevail you know it's it's cliche to say that freedom isn't free, but when you when you think of the massive sacrifice, not only of each of our veterans that have put the uniform on, but their families, you know, it, it's hard to comprehend. I'm blessed to still be in touch with some of the, the guys and gals that I served with, and it's one of the things that always strikes me, and, and if you've been a part of the military family, uh, as I like to call it, you know that it truly is the family that serves. It's not just the service member. Um... You know whether it's the the husband here while the wife's deployed taking care of the kids, whether it's, you know, the wife holding down the fort and working full time, and you know, and and missing those people that you care so very deeply about. Like a piece of you is half a world away sometimes. I mean, it it really does just kind of overwhelm me when I stop and think about the sacrifices that men and women so much greater than I throughout the course of our history have made. And I'd really like to provide an outlet for those stories. Um, You know, if you have friends or family members, uh, if you yourself have a story that you're comfortable sharing about your time in military service, I certainly would like to hear that. Um, Also, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, whatever the case may be, those people that are the ones to run into danger when everyone else is running away. You know, I definitely, if you're comfortable with it, would love to have you share those And I would like to be able to share them as part of the podcast as well. There's a couple of different ways that you can reach me. You can reach me on Twitter. It is the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. We are at Treehouse1776, at Treehouse1776. It's also the Treehouse of Liberty podcast on Facebook. And, of course, you can use my personal Facebook page, which is Jason Fornwalt. My last name is F is in Frank, O-R-N is in Nancy, W-A-L-T as in Tom. Please choose one of those three ways if you do decide to contact me. Please do put listener commentary either in the title or in the first line of whatever you're sending. And I hope to get some of those that I can share. Um, I don't want to minimize what he did, but I know that my grandfather isn't the only one that's got a story like that. And I feel like those stories need to be told and they need to be kept for future generations to be able to discover them and hear them um because behind each one of those stories is a human being is a is a truly great american um and somebody that that our kids and their kids and you know on in perpetuity um can really look up to and really learn from Um, again i really do appreciate you um indulging me and being able to share my grandfather's story with you i hope you found it interesting Very much looking forward to getting any stories that you guys would like to share. And I hope wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, that you are having a great one. Thank you so much again for your time. This has been the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Fornwalt, saying thank you very much, and we'll talk next time.